Uh, so we are carrying on our series of the book of Hebrews. So if you've got a Bible, turn with me to the book of Hebrews. Uh, Hebrews, as I said before, is actually one of my favorite books in the Bible. It's all about Jesus is the greatest. It's pointing people to Jesus. And when the writer was writing it, it was pointing the Jewish Christians who were once uh, Jews and they've become Christians, but they were still living in their old ways in many ways. They were looking to Moses and some of the prophets and the angels. Uh, they didn't know if they were, they were still thinking, is Jesus human and God? They couldn't get their head around that. Still, it's quite hard to get our heads around that today. Jesus fully human and fully God. But there was questions around that. Uh, but the, the whole challenge for the book of Hebrews is probably summed up in two things. And it's to elevate Jesus as more superior and it's to stay faithful in your walk with Jesus. It's to elevate Jesus as more superior and to stay faithful uh, to Jesus. So this morning I'm going to be carrying on looking at Hebrews chapter 4. Uh, and I'm going to kick off at verse uh, 14. Verse 14. Just for the next 20, 25 minutes, I'm going to be speaking to you upon that Jesus is the high priest. Jesus is the high priest. See, the thing is, right, we all in this room know death is inevitable. But we don't know how or when. Death is no longer, in many ways, for us as Christians, an end state. It's no longer a painful experience. But death for us as believers in Jesus Christ, it is the doorway to life. And we've got to remind ourselves sometimes of that. And the truth we're about to read in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, it really changes us. And it's the reason that, our, that death is no longer an end state or pain. It's life. So Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Here we go. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven... Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Verse 16. Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And these, these three verses, 14, 15, 16, I just want to speak for the next 20 minutes on. See, these three verses has one aim, and it's to share with us that Jesus is the high priest. And not just any high priest, but he is the great high priest. It was about three years ago Today, well, not today, actually, about three years ago, at the end of July, uh, me and my brother-in-law, who many of you have probably met, called Scott, we decided to go up to a Christian conference in London, in the O2 Arena. And uh, we decided not to car up, because, as we all probably know, to get into central London, especially on a Friday evening, is, is an absolute, in many ways, it's a nightmare. Um, on a Friday, sorry, not just the evening, but a Friday. And so we decided and we found some really cheap train tickets. But the reason the train tickets were so cheap, you had to book uh, a specific 
time you were going to go and you come back. I suspect we've all booked those kind of tickets before because they're the cheapest train tickets. So everything was okay. We travel up, on the London, uh, up to London in the morning and we head up to London on the exact train. But the time was to, go to get back and we were at this conference and to be honest, the conference didn't finish till late in the evening and we wanted to stay a bit longer. So we thought to ourselves, oh, we'll just push it a couple of minutes longer, a couple of minutes longer. And then we, needed to, we know we needed to get to Waterloo to catch our train back. And then we said, oh, but we've got to go now. So we rush out the O2 Arena. Uh, we, we rush through the tube station to get to London Waterloo. And then we get there to find that we've missed our train. And uh, I don't know if the next bit is good or bad, but we thought to ourselves, let's just get on the next train. And then if a guard comes round, we will just tell him, we'll be honest, and we'll just say, and we'll pay the difference. So we get on the next train, and, uh, uh, which was, I think it was about 45 minutes an hour later, if I remember correctly. Um, and we get on the next train, we sit down, and then the guard has come around. The train is absolutely packed. He's asking for tickets. He's like, tickets, please, tickets, please. And uh, he came to us, he asked for our tickets, and we were about to get them out and to sh just to explain the situation. And my brother-in-law gets his wallet out, and the next thing he says to me, us, is, don't worry, guys. And he carries on. He says, don't worry. And do you know what? He's, my my brother-in-law is a police officer, and he saw the badge. And he said, don't worry about it. You can go on here, for, and you don't really want to look at your tickets. And he didn't look at our tickets. And my brother-in-law says later, apparently to a lot of undercover police officers on the train, he just thought that we were an undercover police officer. I like the thought of that myself. But what happened there, and just to let you know, uh, we weren't trying to gain uh, privileges by having the power, by the way, just to let you know for his sake as well. But what happened there was quite interesting. I think this story goes to explain what's going on here. Because of the privileges we had, we got away with something. Sorry, God. Uh, but it is. And this is what's going on in the passage. Because of the high priest, we get away with something. This is exactly what is going on. Because of the high priest, we get away. This is what's going on. The concept of a high priest is foreign to us as Christians. But actually to many Jews today as well. Because there actually hasn't been a high priest in the Jewish community since the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. But the priest and the role of the priest is really important. In 1689, the, the Baptist churches and the community of the Baptists, they came together and they put together some statements of faith. And this was one of them. Christ performs the office of a priest by once offering himself as a sacrifice to satisfy divine justice and to reconcile us to God by making continual intercession for us before God. Christ performs the office of a priest by once offering himself as a sacrifice to satisfy divine justice, to reconcile us to God and by making continual intercession for us before God. See, in the Judaism, there was many priests. There was many priests, but there was only one high priest. And their role was to act on behalf of people like us in, in relation to God. And they would offer gifts and sacrifices 
for the people's sin. But the high priest would oversee the entire priesthood. And he had many duties, but most of them was to conduct a service on the annual day of the atonement. The atonement means payment for sin, in which restores our relationship with God. The Jews known the Day of Atonement as Yom, Yom Kippur. You might have heard of it. See, the Day of Atonement was a day in which the high priest would take the sacrifices and would sacrifice the animals so that the people could be reconciled with God. And there was this one day a year called the Day of Atonement that it would happen. See, the Jews, they had the same problem as us. They sinned. They had the same problem. Scripture tells us in Romans 3, 23, all have sinned. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. We've all made mistakes. We've all messed up. And if we're honest with ourselves, we will probably go on. We try our best not to, but we all sin. I love this quote, and it's this. Sin is a cosmic treason. Sin is treason against a purely pure, pure sovereign. It is an act of supreme ingratitude towards the one whom we owe everything, to the one who has given us life itself. That is what sin is. It's cosmic treason. Sin is treason against a perfectly pure sovereign. It is acts of supreme ingratitude towards the one whom we owe everything, to the one who has given us life itself. See, from sinfulness of man, we have the opposite end of God, and it's God who is perfectly holy. And in Isaiah, in Isaiah 6, we get a glimpse of God's holiness, and it says this, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw a Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. With two, he flew. The one called to another said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. This is an amazing picture of our God. His robe fills the temple. The angels are around him. They're declaring his holiness. He is so pure that he can't be anywhere close to sin. See, God is far too holy for our sin. And what our sin is separates him. See, on the day of atonement, it was necessary for there was two opposing opposites. There was the opposites of our sin, and there was the opposite of God's holiness. But through his mercy, and God is perfectly just, the debt of our sin can be cancelled through the Day of Atonement. See, the, the sacrifice that was made during the ceremony is how God extended his divine mercy without neglecting 
his divine justice. His God has got to be a God of just. He's got to hate sin. And the Day of Atonement caused, in many ways, these two polar opposites to come together. The main thing we need to know about the high priest is that he was the number one person in the Old Testament religious system. It was through him that we were made right with God. If you were the high priest, you were in someone in high places. I just want to talk for a few minutes about the role of a high priest. See, the high priest, every year on the Day of Atonement, he would firstly, he would change his garment. He would put on a, a, white, a white linen robe. And this was a sign of the repentance of sin. He would go into the tabernacle. And the first thing he would do, he would offer a bull. And this thing was to offer the bull for the forgiveness of his own sin. Because he couldn't go into the holies of the holies. He couldn't go into the inner bit of the temple when he was, uh, he was sinful himself. So he would firstly offer a bull. And when the blood came out, it was, sure, it, was, it was the perfect sacrifice from the sin, of the sin of himself to the holies of holies in terms of God himself. And after he's done that, he would take another, uh, more like a goat, and he would go into the holies of holies. And in the holies of holies, it would only be one time a year, and it would be on this day of atonement. And in this holies of holies was an ark of covenant. It was in many ways where the presence of God dwelled. And he would go in there and he would actually, he would sacrifice two goats in that time. And on the two goats, one would be slain for the nations. And one would be slain for our sin. And it was, it was our sin that we would be forgiven. The sins of the people were then confessed over the scape, uh, second goat. And they start to call it the scapegoat. Because it was symbolic for it was transferring the sins of the people to the goat. And then the goat was sacrificed. See, our spiritual condition is no different from the people in the Old Testament. The sinfulness of men. The holiness of God. But the difference is is that God changed the rules because he gave us the ultimate person to die for us. And it was Jesus Christ. See, Jesus became the great high priest. He became the guy that would walk into the, to, to the holies of holies. And he, would, he wouldn't sacrifice a goat, but he would sacrifice himself. This amazing thing, Christ performs the office of a priest by once offering himself as a sacrifice to satisfy divine justice, to reconcile us back to God, making continual intercession for us before God. See, this is the goodness of the gospel, Jesus Christ. He was the perfect sacrifice for our sins. See, we no longer need to get a boar or a goat. And by the way, I did think about bringing in a bull and a goat today, a dead one, obviously, but Becky said it's probably no good to go that way. But I did think about it. You know, we no longer need to, this morning, you didn't need to come with your bull or your goat. You just need to come as you are because 
Jesus became the high priest. He came that sacrifice on the table. He's taken our place. He became our scapegoat. See, the next few verses go on to say, hold firmly to the faith we profess. And this is what the whole of Hebrews is encouraging us to do. This is what the whole of Hebrews is cheering us on to that we will, uh, we will hold firmly to our faith. We've heard about how we should not drift away. We've heard about that we should keep going, that we should fix our thoughts on Jesus, that we shouldn't harden our hearts. And he's determined to say to us, stay close to Jesus no matter what the cost is. With your mouth, profess your faith because he's changed your life. The writer then goes to say, he emphasizes with our weaknesses. See, the role of a priest in the Old Testament, he had two main roles. Number one, and one his was to offer sacrifices and, and offerings on behalf of the people. And number two is what we would call a pastoral role. He was looking after the people. He sympathized with them. He got alongside the people. See, Jesus, he has become our great high priest. He has taken the penalty of our sin. But it goes a step further. He comes alongside us. He understands our struggles. He empathizes with us. It's amazing. He doesn't just understand. He doesn't just get it. He empathizes with us. In C.S. Lewis' book, Mere Christianity, he says this. A silly idea is current that good people do not know what temptation means. This is an obvious lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. After all, you find out the strength of the German army by fighting against it, not by giving in. You find out the strength of a wind by trying to walk against it, not by lying down. A man who gives in to temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would have been like an hour later. That is why bad people, in one sense, know very little about badness. They've had their they have lived a sheltered life by always giving in. Christ, because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation, is the only man who knows to be the fool what temptation means. I'm just going to read that again. I know it's quite long, but it's quite powerful. A silly idea is current that the good people do not know what temptation means. This is an obvious lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. After all, you find out the strength of the German army by fighting against it, not by giving in. You find out the strength of a wind by trying to walk against it, not lying down. A man who gives in to temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would have been like an hour later. That is why bad people, in one sense, know very little about badness. They have lived a sheltered life by always giving in. Christ, because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation, is the only man who, never, who, who knows to the full what temptation means. See, Jesus Christ, he 
understands and he empathizes our temptation. He's gone the whole way. See, for us, in our temptations of not just sin, but struggles in life, uh, we might give in five minutes, an hour, a day, a month later, and we forget about things, but Jesus has gone the whole way. He knows how to fight against temptation. He's not just the high priest. He understands and empathizes with our temptation. He empathizes with you when you are battling sinful temptations day after day. He empathizes with you when life feels like an uphill battle. He empathizes with you when you are going through a trial. He empathizes with you when life didn't turn out what you hoped for. See, he knows right now what you are going through in your life. And the writer here is saying he feels your pain. He empathizes with you. He's there with you. But the greatest thing is, is that is the response afterwards in Hebrews. When we approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. Mercy is what God feels about us. Grace is what God has done for us. And th- this is an outstanding passage because he says, don't just empathize. He's there for us in our time of need. Yes, he's fin- finished our, uh, the penalty of our sin, but it's so much more than that. The gospel is bigger than that. Every day, every moment, his mercy, his love is freely given to us as we approach his throne with uh, confidence. And his grace is to help us in our time of need. So many times I've declared this passage in my own life that I would find mercy and grace in my time of need. And in your time of need, you have someone who empathizes with you. And you have someone who's going to show you so much love and who's going to help you and pull you back up. And it is Jesus Christ. It is that great high priest. And we can enter his throne with great confidence because of what he has done. We literally have someone in high places. Like in my analogy at the beginning, we got somewhere because, in many ways, of a badge of someone I knew because I knew my brother-in-law. You have someone, Jesus Christ, who's gone before you. And we're going to sing a song which will lead us into breaking the bread. And it's lost in wonder. And as we sing, you'll sing with all your heart. Or you might want to just spend a few minutes in quietness. Because I know sometimes when you hear some words, it's a lot to take in. So feel free to stand or to sit. Uh, You can stand and sing or you can sit and just think or you can stand and think. But just take this time just to reflect on what was um, about Jesus as our great high priest. Thank you.